Oh God, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of us above all. Holy Father, we return again to the cross. We need you to teach us. We who feel too often that we have more than we can bear. Teach us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Do you know the six last words of God? Hmm? The whole world this last week heard the anguished words, last words, of a 26-year-old American contractor in Iraq named Nick Berg. There's no need for me to repeat the details to you. You already know the horrific story. But before he tragically died, the young man was commanded by his captors to state his name, the name of his father, the name of his mother, the name of his brother, the name of his sister. He did not know, Nick Berg, that those names would be his last words. When word of his terrible death reached his parents in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Nick Berg's dad, Michael, emerged from the family home to the waiting reporters and attempted to make some sort of family statement regarding their awful, awful loss. But when a reporter informed him there how it was his son had died, the father collapsed in tears upon his lawn. The arms of his only surviving boy wrapped about him while the cameras whirled. I want you to look at that picture. It is a picture of utter human brokenness. And it is for that picture and 10,000 times 10,000 other similar pictures on this planet that God today would speak to you and me His last six words. Do you know them? If you do, you know the secret to surviving the hellish worst that life and Lucifer can throw in your face. The six last words of God. Not to be confused, by the way, with the seven last words of Christ. Those seven are found in the Scripture, but these six are not. But they are nonetheless just as scriptural. Let us write them now upon the tablets of our hearts so that we shall not forget these six. The six last words of God. Would you please take out of your worship bulletin today's new study guide. I want you to have this. In fact, if you came in and several of you came with one bulletin, ushers, would you right now make certain that every worshiper here has a copy of this study guide? There's, there is stuff here for you to brood over, I can assure you. 
And those of you watching on television right now, if you'll go to our website, let me put it on the screen for you, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to that website right now. Click on to our, our series, The Christ of the Passion. Then drop down and click on to the six last words of God. When you make that last click, this identical study guide will be right there in front of you on your computer screen. And you can go through this journey with us. But before we write down the six last words of God... Let's share together the seven last words of Christ. You know that Christians for the last 20 centuries have meditated upon the seven last words of Jesus while hanging on the cross. In fact, entire books have been written contemplating those seven words. I have one, one such book in my library, provocative book, Richard John Newhouse's Death on a Friday Afternoon. You, you also understand this. They, they are not actually one word long. They are, they are statements. They are the seven statements that Jesus spoke from Calvary before his expiration. And you and I, let's note them very quickly. We will note them in chronological order as Jesus speaks the words from the center cross. All right. Word number one, the word of Christ, number one from the cross. Write it in, please. Father, forgive them. Now, I'm not going to put every word in that verse for you to fill out. You just need to know what that, what, what that line is. Father, write it in, please. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I tell you what, that would be like Michael Berg walking out of his house and telling the reporters, we have just forgiven our son's murderers. That would be like Nick Berg turning around and looking into his executioner's face and saying, I know what you're going to do and I forgive you right now. That is, that is an amazing word. Father, forgive them. Word number one. Word of Christ number two from the cross. Would you write it in, please? You will be with me. He turns, cranks his bloodied neck, looks into the haunted, desperate eyes of a dying thief who has just called out, Save me! And Jesus says, You and I may die the deaths of criminals, but you will be with me in paradise. Write it in. Word number two from the cross. Word number three from the cross. Behold your son. Because from the thief to his mother, the tear-streaked face of his beloved mother. Mama, you knew a sword would pierce your heart. Simeon told you that when you were holding me in your arms in the temple. Behold your son. Boy, behold your mother. All right? Word number four from the center cross. My God! My God, why? Just write in those words. My God, my God, why? It is the cry of utter dereliction. As we noted in a previous study in this series, Jesus believes that at this moment He is about to be eternally severed from ever going home. The birds may go home. The children may go home. But He will never go home again. My God, why? All right? Word number four. Word, the fifth word of Christ from the cross. We hardly ever quote this one. I thirst. I'm thirsty. Richard John Newhouse comments on this one. He first quotes the word of Jesus. Let's put it on the screen. He quotes Jesus' statement earlier in, in John's gospel. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. And then Newhouse observes, Jesus is the fountain. And now on the cross, the fountain thirsts. What an enigma. What a turnabout. The one whose water says, I'm thirsty. You know why he's thirsty? Because he's thirsting for your salvation. He is thirsting for my soul. I thirst. The sixth word of Christ from the cross, write it in. It is finished. 
that classic on the life of Jesus, desire of ages, observes. Let me put the words on the screen for you. Christ did not yield up His life till He had accomplished the work which He came to do. And with His parting breath, He exclaimed, It is finished. The battle had been won. All heaven triumphed in the Savior's victory. Satan was defeated and knew that his kingdom was lost. End quote. Hallelujah. What do you say? Lost. Lost. And the final seventh word from the cross. Write it in, please. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I want you to read words that feel as if they, were an, they are an eyewitness account. Same book, Desire of Ages. Put them on the screen, please. Suddenly, the gloom lifted from the cross. And in clear trumpet-like tones, it seemed to resound throughout creation. Jesus cried, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And now notice, it had been pitch black. A light encircled the cross. And the face of the Savior shone with a glory like the sun. He then bowed his head upon his breast and died. By faith, Christ was victor. Hallelujah again. The seven words of Christ. There they are, ladies and gentlemen. But they are not the six last words of God. Surely, though, they, they tell the same truth. They are not the same. What are those six last words that you and I shall write upon the tablets of our hearts? They are words that are woven actually through the tapestry of yet another story. I have this story right here in the pulpit with me. The most dramatic, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the most dramatic retelling I have ever read of what is surely one of the greatest classics in all of human literature. I have it, the retelling right here. And I am so pleased to be able to announce to you that this work of art, belongs to one of our own here at Pioneer Memorial Church, Terry Fiveash Calkins. She's the writer of this. If, uh, if you pick the book up, Be Forewarned, you will not put it down. The story's already a classic. But now, with the deft touch of an artist and a master storyteller, this book is going to move that classic deeper into your heart than it's ever been. The book... Joseph, 463 pages of Joseph. You're going to take twists and turns you never dreamed could be compatible and possible through the literary, literary, literary license of a gifted artist, all the while, though, remaining faithful to the Genesis account. Yep. You're going to be immersed into the fascinating life and culture and intrigue of ancient Egypt. And all of it corroborated by one of our own Old Testament scholars, Dr. Leona Running, who carefully read and reviewed the manuscript. Why do I recommend the book? I'll tell you why. Because for me, its reading was not only recreational. Every good book has to be recreational to keep you going. But for me, it was also devotional. Here in this book, I gazed... Upon a portrait of God, I needed to see during our winter of uncertainty. Just a few weeks ago. You see, our little girl turned, our little girl Kristen, turned 18 three months ago. 
Those of you who were here on the Sabbath before she turned 18 might remember a poem I wrote for her. You didn't know this, but I wrote the poem because she was leaving home five days later when she turned 18. And I knew in my heart of hearts that this was one of those life passages that cannot ever be retraced. There comes a time, look, I'm a dad. There comes a time when every child leaves home, I realize. But you have dreams of when and how that moment will come. And dads especially have hearts full of dreams for their little girls. And so when life suddenly veers off the highway of those dreams and swerves in a direction you never knew was coming, it's enough to suck your breath away and break your heart. But you try to be brave, knowing that God's love has always been very deeply committed to yours and my freedom of choice. In fact, you know what? I believe God is committed to that freedom of choice more than anything else in the universe. And God has taught us and He says you must do the same. You must honor your children's freedom because without that freedom, it really isn't love, is it? It's coercion. But you can't have a home. You can't have a family. You can't have a marriage with coercion. It has to be free. Well, last year, Chrissy fell in love with a young man out west. We met him once. A fine young man. Emphasis on young. (laughs) Just a year older than she. Well, those two young hearts collaborated and talked and finally corralled his parents. Nice conservative Adventist Christian parents, by the way, for which I'm very grateful. But they corralled them into agreeing to let Chrissy come and live with them for a while so that she could skip the rest of academy here. Move out there and take her GEDs and go straight into college this spring, which, by the way, she has ended up pulling off very successfully, for which I am proud of her. She's a college freshman now going to college, community college. But I didn't know where this thing was going, and I'm not sure Karen and I still know. But because her heart was set as only an 18-year-old heart can be on her birthday... Karen and I flew with her out to this family's home to meet the family, get a feel for where our little girl would now be living for a while. I tell you what, coming home to Berrien Springs and an empty house, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. Two days later, I had to get on another plane and fly to London. You remember that satellite series I had to do? This winter, in my briefcase, I carried Terry's book she had just given to me, Joseph. I now realize that God impressed this young writer to give me that book at precisely the moment when we were struggling with painful uncertainty about life, period. And as I read late each night after another satellite shoot was over, I found myself meeting the God of Joseph who needed me to know that He is still the God of Joseph. He is still the God of broken dreams. I haven't changed. 
God with the six last words. And so I want to share those six last words with you. Because I believe that they will encourage your heart too. I really do. Because you too may be going through a time in your life right now when you cannot see the future at all. And what you're going through right now is enough to break anybody's heart. Maybe you too, just like Joseph, have nurtured a heart full of dreams that now seem hopelessly dashed. It may not not be about your little girl, alright? It may be about your health. It may be about your marriage. It may be about your injury. It may be about your career. It may be about your financial predicament. It may be family. It may be the death of one you have loved all your life. You know what? It may be a terrible moral fall that has left you dark with guilt and shame and a sense of utter failure. It may be a secret nobody else could possibly know but you and God. But whatever it is, it has broken all the dreams you once dreamed and left them in a thousand jagged shards for you, for me. Come the six last words of God in the final recorded words of Joseph. Everybody loves the story of Joseph. We know it so well. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to relive it. Let's go to the ending because when's the last time you read the ending? Let's go to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis right now. The six last words of God, you can, you, you can find them here. The book of Genesis chapter 50. Let's get, a, let's get a run up to these words. Just read a, a few verses before them. So let's pick it up in verse 15. I'll be, re- I'll be reading in the New International Version, all right? Genesis 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, uh-oh, uh-oh. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? You know, guilt, guilt is a, is a terrible ball and chain. Especially if you can't forgive yourself. Others forgive you, God forgives you, but you won't forgive yourself. And you drag that ball and chain through your life. It shackles you, it holds you, it, it suffocates you. You need to let it go. They haven't learned yet to let it go. Oh, what are we going to do? What if Joseph, if he holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Verse 16, so they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father, not our father, your father left these instructions before he died. I'll just bet you between you and me, Jacob never did this at all. (laughs) Come on. Jacob knows his boy, Joseph. Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you, father says, to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they have committed in treating you so badly. Now the brothers go on. Please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to Joseph, he wept because they didn't get it. They hadn't heard his prayer from the center cross while he was shackled. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the prayer of Joseph, who, by the way, is very much like Jesus. Betrayed by his own. 
Joseph wept. Verse 18. And then they follow up their advance word. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Oh, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, verse 19, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20. Here it comes now. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Oh, you didn't catch that, did you? You did not catch it. You've got to now read it then in the New Jerusalem Bible. Let me put it on the screen and you'll have to fill it in your study guide in order for that quotation to be complete. Write it in, please. The New Jerusalem Bible. The evil. Write it in. The evil you plan to do to me has by God's design been turned to good. Whoa. You meant it for evil. God got a hold of it and turned it into good. You know what? That sounds like it's straight out of the New Testament, doesn't it? Guess what? It is. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. But I love it in the New Living Translation. Watch this. Put it up, please. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Did you catch that? God causes everything to work together for the good. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, it does not read, and God declares that everything is good. Everything is not good. Evil is still evil, and its source is still diabolical. You don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, good, I have cancer now. You don't walk out of that divorce court and say, Oh, good, my divorce has been sent unto me by God. It's not good. It's awful. It is insane, the suffering that we must live with. God never declares our suffering good. What He declares, however, and Romans 28 is absolutely clear. In fact, would you write this in your study guide, please? God has the capacity to cause, write in that word, to cause everything, no matter how evil, to work together for our good. Which is precisely what Joseph was trying to console his brothers with. The evil you plan to do to me has by God's design been turned to good. Talking about omnipotent creativity. Would you write that in please? Omnipotent creativity and creative omnipotence. That's what we've just run heartlong into. Omnipotent creativity, wow. And creative omnipotence. By the way, have you ever noticed this? Because we love the story of Joseph. My dad used to tell it to us as kids. Bedtime story all the time. I love this story. But have you ever noticed from the story how no matter what Lucifer keeps hurling at this friend of God, God keeps taking it and twisting it and tweaking it and turning it and transforming it into a strategic move in God's, own, in God's own plan. Have you noticed that? And by the way, Joseph never sees a thing. He does not know what is happening. Guess what? You are not supposed to know right now what is happening. 
You're just supposed to do as Joseph did. Keep on trusting El Shaddai. That's the name of Joseph's God. El Shaddai, the Almighty One, the Omnipotently Creative One. You just trust Him. In fact, if you're like Job, you will say, even though He kills me, even though He slays me, I'm going to trust Him. I will trust Him. Watch what happens. I just love this. Lucifer spews this evil treachery of betrayal and jealousy upon young Joseph until Joseph's half-brothers finally rid him by selling him into slavery. And God says, Thank you, Lucifer. I needed a way to get Joseph to Egypt. You just provided it. Lucifer is furious now. Well, then I'll get him into the captain of the guards. I'll get him into the meanest home possible. And so Joseph goes on the slave block and Potiphar buys him. And God says, Lucifer, thank you. I needed to get Joseph into a house that would reach the upper court of Egypt. And you just did it for me. Oh, Lucifer is even more furious now as he darkly observes Joseph's rapid rise to prominence as a slave and then vomits Mrs. Potiphar's adulterous design upon Joseph. And God says, Whoa, thank you, Lucifer. I needed to get Joseph into prison where he'll be when the two closest servants that Pharaoh has end up incarcerated so that he can interpret their dreams, which he does. And now Lucifer is beside himself and in a rage. He strikes back by causing that grateful butler to forget the innocent young man who has interpreted his dream. And God says, thank you, Lucifer. It was too early for Joseph to leave. Poor, pitiful Lucifer, playing into God's creative omnipotence every which way he strikes God's there. Until finally, in the fullness of God's time, the clock struck and the alarm beside God's throne went off. And God says, all right, now. And guess what? Pharaoh did dream a dream. And the butler did remember the boy in prison. And Joseph's dreams did come true literally overnight, but beyond his wildest imaginings. Why? Because Joseph's God is El Shaddai. And that means, write it in please, God Almighty. Scholars are not sure. It's a bit obscure, the origin and meaning. But they all say, listen, God Almighty. God Almighty is Joseph's God. And El Shaddai, never forget this, ladies and gentlemen. El Shaddai always has the last word. And his last word is always six words long. Write them down. So that you will never forget them. Write them upon the tablet of your heart. So that the next crisis that comes to you, these six words, God's last six words will come to you as well. And you will have hope. And you will trust. And you will not despair. Write them down. God's six last words. I can 
get there from here. The six last words of God. I can get there from here. Because if you're El Shaddai, you have creative omnipotence at your instantaneous disposal. No matter where life twists, no matter how it turns, I can get there from here. Do you know where the here is? The here is what you're suffering right now. Nobody knows maybe about what you're going through, but you're suffering. That's the here. I can get there. Do you know where the there is? The there is God's ultimate dream and will for your life. And He says, guess what? I can get from your here to my there. I can get there from here. Which being interpreted means, and I wish you'd write this down so that you'll never forget it. God can take the worst for you and turn it into the best for you. He can take the worst and turn it into the best. What kind of a God are we worshiping today? It's the God of Joseph, El Shaddai. That's who. God can get from your here, write it in, to His there. Wherever you're here might be El Shaddai. I can get there from here. It is no wonder this promise reads the way it does. I want to end with this promise for you. So I want you to have this study guide. You'll never lose this promise, I am sure. Read it. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made plain. Someday you're going to understand it. Someday I, God will say, let me just show you this map. Let me show you what I was doing. Joseph never knew. He never knew till it was over. It's okay. You can wait. All that has perplexed us in the providences of God will in the world to come be made plain. The things hard to be understood will then find explanation. The mysteries of grace will unfold before us where, I love this, where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, broken dreams. Is that all you've gotten lately out of life? Oh, hang on to this. Where our finite minds discovered only confusion and broken promises, we shall see the most perfect and beautiful harmony. (laughs) How does that work? I don't know. I guess it's just because he's El Shaddai. He can, he can pretty much do whatever he wants to do. And it works. Now this next line is mysterious. But you must believe it by faith. You must believe it by faith. We shall know in heaven. We shall know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seemed most trying. You mean, God, it was your plan? You ordered what's happened to us? You didn't cause this, did you? No, 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 no. Did I cause Joseph's? Did I cause Joseph's? No. Lucifer caused it. I ordered it. There was no other way. There was no other way I could get Joseph into the second most powerful position on the then known planet. I had to send him as a slave. I had to put him in prison. I had to have him betrayed. I had to. It was the only way I had. But I can get there from here. Then 
when He unrolls the map, then we see how every move was strategically countered. Everything Lucifer did was checkmate by God. Checkmate. Checkmate. Check. Gotcha. Gotcha. All the way through our lives, Lucifer thought he had us. God kept checkmate. Checkmate. Gotcha again. Checkmate. You can't get him, Lucifer. You can't take her. She's mine. You can hurt her. You hurt Job for me. You hurt Job for me, didn't you? You'll pay for that. But you can't take Job out of my heart. And you can't take Job out of my plan. You can't touch Joseph. Checkmate. I'm going for the throne. And you went for the pit. See, that's the difference between God and Lucifer. If you trust El Shaddai, he's going for the throne. Please, don't play into Lucifer's strategy and end up in the pit. Make your choices for the throne. Ah, where were we? Here we are. We shall know that infinite love ordered the experiences that seem most trying as we realize the tender care of Him who makes all things work together for our good. We shall rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Ladies and gentlemen, that quotation is from the perspective of eternity. We are not there yet. We have to simply take it by faith. You're going to have to believe it by faith. You're going to have to trust El Shaddai and believe that he can get there from here. By faith, just like Joseph. By faith, just like Jesus. That's why God's six last words are in Christ's seven last words. Don't you ever forget it that in the death of Jesus, Lucifer reaches into his hellish, hellish arsenal and pulls out the most diabolical thrust that he has left and he rams it through the heart of God and God, El Shaddai, gets murdered. But once again, Lucifer plays out his wretched hand only to discover that's exactly what God needed in order to save the human race. Write it down, please. In the suffering of Jesus, God took the worst Himself. God took it Himself. You didn't take it. He took it. God took the worst of the very worst and turned it into the best of the very best. I can get there from here. And because He can, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? Guess what? We, you and I, can trust Him till we die. Because get this, you probably haven't heard this. Get this. Because even when we're dead, God can get there from here. Amen. And now may the love of the Father and the suffering of the Son and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all until we get there. Amen.